I'd actually forgot until uh, Kevin mentioned it in his prayer about uh, the month that's being uh, kind of hijacked and adopted for, um, for what amounts to rebellion against God. And I know I was thinking about that earlier this week, and, and I told my kids, my family, I said, let us never forget. And so I want to share it just with you this morning. Let us never forget that the rainbow is God's rainbow. It's his rainbow that he's put into the sky as a promise. And we should never forget that and never let the world take what is God's and claim it as their own. That, that is, in fact, what they do with the entire world. Who does the world belong to and all the people therein? It all belongs to God, but the world takes it and thinks that it is their own. But it's all God's from beginning to end. And the rainbow is God's and the people are God's and the end and the beginning belongs to God, right? And so I just want us to remember that truth because that rainbow is a picture of God's faithfulness to his promises. And every time you look and you see a rainbow, what you are to be reminded of is that God is faithful to his promises and he has promised not to destroy the, water, the, the world by water again. But there is a day coming. There is a judgment day that is coming when the earth will be judged and all in it for their sin. And if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are saved by him, then there is a promise of redemption for those that have placed their faith in Christ and only through Christ. There is another, no other hope in the world. There is no other salvation in the world except through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's remember God's faithfulness to his promises. And one of the ways that we do that Sunday after Sunday is by looking into God's word. And we have already heard much from God's word and read God's word, and I want to invite you back to the Gospel of John as we look now at John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. John chapter 8, 12 to 30, and I'm going to read it in a minute, but these verses here, they follow what we looked at last week, that brief interlude about the adulterous woman in chapter 7, verse 53, to chapter 8, verse 11, and so in these verses, John is bringing us back to the events that were surrounding Jesus at the temple during the Feast of Booths. Um, the entire account, again, began in chapter 7, verse 14, where in the mid-feast, Jesus went into the temple and he began to teach. And this whole account of John ends in chapter 8, verse 59, where Jesus leaves the temple after the people attempt to stone him and to kill him. And so John's focus through the entire section has been to demonstrate how Jesus revealed himself to be the Christ, the Son of God, and how his own people, Israel, grew in their opposition toward him, and they ended up rejecting the promised Messiah. And so the opposition reaches a fever pitch on the last day of the feast. It began with Jesus standing up and crying out on that last day. Do you remember? He stood up and he cried out on the last day of the feast that the thirsty should come to him and 
drink. And so division arises among the people, chapter 7, verse 40 to 52. And John has his commentary on that growing division. And then John picks up in chapter 8, verse 12 here, with Jesus's continued last day comments. This is why it's important to remember, he stands up and he says, the thirsty should come to him and drink. And then you'll see that John says, again, Jesus spoke to them. So this is in continuation. That little interlude kind of hides that. But this is still the words of Jesus on the last day of the feast in the temple. And so we pick up there in verse 12 of chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins." So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the testimony that John has given us here of the life and the ministry and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have inspired this word by the Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would now bless it to our ears and to our lives, that you would bless the teaching and the preaching of it, that your people would be strengthened and we would be equipped 
for godliness, equipped in the faith, strengthened in our faith, grounded in the faith, and that we would be uh, those who carry on the faith faithfully by your strength and power. Help us to see Christ and to rest in him, we pray in his name. Amen. The more Jesus makes himself known, the more opposition he faces. And a key to the claims that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John are what are known as these I am statements. We've already seen the first I am statement in the Gospel of John. It's the statement from John 6.39, which is just prior to this temple experience, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Do you remember that? I am the bread of life. And of course, what Jesus was referring to, he's making reference back to the Exodus when Israel's delivered out of Egypt and they enter into the wilderness. God gave Israel manna from above, a manna that was supposed to sustain them and satisfy their hunger. Manna was given to them by God in order to feed them in the wilderness so that they wouldn't perish. By saying, I am the bread of life, Jesus was presenting himself before them as the true manna of God. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of all that was typified by the manna in the Old Testament wilderness, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment and I give my life, I give my flesh on the cross to satisfy the, the judgment and the wrath of God upon sinners so that they might receive life. Those who are in the wilderness of sin, who receive him, Jesus, the bread of life, by faith will be saved. They will be redeemed. Those who come to him and, and partake of him and believe in him and trust in him as the bread of life will be saved. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I'm it. This is all it was pointing to here. In chapter 8, verse 12, what we just read, you have the second I am statement of John. John, when he opened up this book, he said to us in his prologue that Jesus is the light of men. You remember that from chapter 1, verse 4. And so now it's not John saying Jesus is the light of men, but Jesus himself here says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this light metaphor, just like the bread metaphor, manna metaphor, is also steeped in Old Testament allusions specific to the exodus from Egypt. As Israel left Egypt and they went into the wilderness, the glory of the very presence of God in the cloud and the pillar of fire led the people into the promised land. And it protected them from those who would seek to destroy them. 
And Jesus is presenting himself as the Lord who was in the pillar of fire at night and led Israel out of Egypt. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And I have come to lead sinners into heaven and to protect them along the way. And this light metaphor in the Old Testament is carried on even beyond Exodus and beyond the Exodus, beyond the pillar of fire. The light metaphor is carried on in, in different places. For example, Psalm 27, verse 1, you, the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's like he, the Lord gives the way of salvation to the psalmist. He sheds light on it. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, revealing something about salvation and the way to, to heaven, the way to be in God's presence. Isaiah 49, 6 says, Of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Again, all of this, this picture of this light of God and his word making manifest salvation to sinners and mankind. And this carries all the way even to the very end of time when we are told that God will be a light for his people. There will be a city in Revelation 21, 23 to 24, a city that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so in the Feast of Booths, which is specific to the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings and that coming messianic age where God pours his blessing out from Jerusalem, Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is very fitting. He is the bread of life, the light of the world, the spiritually hungry, thirsty, and blind, you and me, spiritually hungry, thirsty, and blind are invited to come to him for deliverance and salvation. He is the light of the world. He is the hope of mankind. And the world needs it. We need it. Because we live in a very dark world. It was uh, seven years ago, well, actually more than seven, wow. That was like 13 years ago, Nancy and I, uh, Jacob was only one and a half years old, I think. Crazy how time flies. We moved to Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. I had some family, some friends there, and we decided to try out Ohio. 
laugh, right? Sorry if you're from Ohio, but we went, we went there and uh, we stayed two years there. And one of the things I didn't check up, being from California, right? I didn't check up how much sun Columbus, Ohio gets. But it turns out Columbus, Ohio is probably, from what I, some places I read, the second most overcast, cloudy city in the nation, second only to Seattle. And if you've ever lived in Seattle or been, it's just always overcast and cloudy, right? Columbus was like that. And after a while, two years of living in Columbus, and Nancy would say to me, like, what's, what's wrong with you? And I go, I don't, I don't know, but I had no energy. I, I just felt like the whole world was closing in on me. That's how I felt. And never saw the sun. It was this dark shadow that was just always over the city. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm come, and I worked, by the way, in a, to top it off, in a cash vault in a bank uh, underground. So here, I'm in, this, <laughs> I'm, in this, I'm in this city, I'm in this vault, I'm never seeing the sun. I'm like, this is just so overwhelming me, the, the darkness, that it, just, it was just drawing the life out of me. Some people can live in those conditions, that's fine. But for me, it, was, it just felt dark. And the fact of the matter is, in that spirit, in that physical kind of darkness, people can adjust to it. But the, the truth is, is that the, the world is actually even darker than that. And it's more depressing. And you can't see, you can't see your, your hand from, from the road. Like you, you, it is, it is covered and overwhelmed by its current spiritual condition. And this dark shadow of sin and this dark shadow of God's coming judgment of sinners is laying on top of the world. And Isaiah calls it, in Isaiah uh, 11.9, Isaiah calls it a deep darkness. There's a deep darkness that is laying over the world and Isaiah 59, 9 to 10 says, we hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor we are like dead men. That's how it is. The world hopes for light. It wants something in order to be able to see. And, and the world is looking for this hope and for this identity and for this deliverance. And you see them looking for it at every corner and at every bend. They're just looking for something, for some kind of deliverance to, to just satisfy me and make me whole, make this life worth something to me because I'm looking for it and at every bend and everywhere I look, all I actually find is behold darkness. And I think I'm going to be satisfied by this, but what I find is gloom. And like blind men, we grope around looking for something that would just make us 
whole. Paul describes the same thing to the Athenians in Acts 17. Do you remember when he's at the Areopagus? And in chapter 17, verse 27, Paul uses this word that they, to feel after something. And it's the same word that Homer used to describe the groping about of the giant, you remember the giant one-eyed cyclops? So what happens in Homer is the cyclops captures Odysseus and he captures his men and he puts them into a cave. And then Odysseus wants to escape from the cave and so he takes this big stake as, and he stabs, he stabs the cyclops in the eye. So the cyclops eye he can't see anymore. And so Odysseus and his men think that they're going to escape and get out of the cave. But what was hard for Odysseus and his men is that the cyclops is in there and the cyclops being blind now is groping about and he's feeling the walls and he's looking because he wants to stop them from escaping and he's groping and touching everything. And so they have this very difficult time to escape. And so Paul is saying to the Athenians, he's saying, God has made himself known. And you can look at the world and you can see it and God has made himself known. But what you are doing, Athenians, and what the world is doing, you in your sin are groping about like the Cyclops. And you're looking for something and you're looking for, for, for Odysseus and his men, but you're, you're missing them. You're missing everything. You can't see because you are in darkness. And this is the world that we live in. It's blind to the truth about God's revelation of himself and Jesus Christ, his son. And they only stumble deeper and deeper into sin until they find themselves utterly trapped in immorality, idolatry, and unfruitful works of darkness. And they find that they are away from God's light. And there's no hope. There's no hope for those who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The world needs the light of God to shine forth and praise God Jesus came into this dark world to do that. And Jesus says plainly to those in darkness, he says, I am the light of the world. Not I am a light. Not I am one light among many other lights for the world. Jesus says, I am the light. I am the one and only light for sinners trapped in darkness. And he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that is good news for sinners. Good news for the sinner who comes to Jesus in repentance and faith, because when you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, 
you turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, and you receive the forgiveness of sins, and you receive an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in God. The one who believes in Jesus is rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son, and that one becomes a child of light instead of darkness. Now, the really neat thing about Jesus doing this at the Feast of Tabernacles is not only did the Feast of Tabernacles emphasize the daily water ceremony, do you remember we described that too couple weeks ago. There was also in the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles this emphasis on lights during the feast. So one thing, one description I read said that um, on every night of the feast there was this lighting of four huge lamps in the temple's courts and the women in the in the court of the women and a big celebration took place under their lights as pious men would hold torches in their hands and they would dance around and they would sing songs of praise. And so you could picture them in the temple court. These four huge lights are lit. People, these men are holding torches. They're dancing and they're singing praise to God. And all of those lights, it is said, from the temple area actually shone throughout and glowed all over Jerusalem. All this light is coming out, and it's shining and glowing over, over the city of Jerusalem. And this is the context that Jesus then, as he stands up on the last day, he calls the thirsty to come to him and drink, but he also says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All right, so Jesus is the light of the world, and you're to believe in him. But notice what he says, that believing in him doesn't just mean acquiescing to the truth. Because we're even going to see here at the end, John is going to say, Many believed in him, but then he kind of says that many of those that believed in him are the same ones that ultimately ended up trying to stone him. So believing in Jesus doesn't just mean saying, okay, I agree, he's the light of the world. Sure, Jesus is the light of the world. Same God as the Old Testament. Okay, he came and delivered. No, Jesus actually says, I am the light of the world. And then you'll notice there the word he says. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, believing and following are the same thing. You can't say, I believe in Jesus and truly believe in Jesus if you do not follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, it's because you believe him. And if you believe him, you are inclined to follow him. And so Jesus is saying, that's what it means to follow me. It, it means 
To believe in him is to follow him. And that means that you commit yourself wholly and entirely to him as Lord and Savior. It means you submit yourself to him in every matter of both doctrine and practice. That's what Jesus is calling people to do. As Israel moved and followed the pillar of cloud and fire, do you remember in the wilderness journey what happened? Whenever the pillar of cloud and fire moved, what did they do? They moved. And whenever the pillar of cloud and fire stopped, what did they do? They stopped. Wherever the pillar of cloud and fire went, so the people of God went. It gave them light. It gave them direction. It said, God said in the Old Testament, follow me and I will protect you and guide you and keep you. And I will bring you safely through the wilderness. And now Jesus is saying, I am the pillar of light. Follow me. When I go, you go. When I stop, you stop. What I say, you do. This is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There's a lot of people, a lot of people saying they believe in Jesus. A lot of people saying, I believe Jesus is the light of the world and yet are walking in complete and utter darkness. And you would say, I don't think you see clearly at all. I, I think you're being, it's like the blind leading the blind. If the blind follow the blind, Jesus says, what will happen to both of them? They will both fall in the pit. And there's a lot of people saying they're following Jesus, but you have to wonder, well, is the light of life leading your life? Or are you being led by something else because you don't, sure don't look like you're following Christ at all? This is the difference between believing in Jesus truly and believing in Jesus just with our lips. It is so easy to say something with our mouths, but Jesus says that you can tell a tree by its fruit, and you can see whether or not that person really is a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And you know what? In some sense, I feel for the dark, world in darkness, and I'm just not blasting in because I don't want the world to be redeemed, but I feel for the world because the world is filled with false lights. The, the, the world has lights abounding, and it beckons you to follow. The world says, this philosophy or whatever is your hope. Follow me and you will, if you follow this philosophy, you will receive life. And there's people chasing all kinds of things. Or movements. 
This last two year and a half ago, whatever, this BLM movement, it wrapped up so many people into it because the world looks and they see some kind of movement and they think with all of this activity and with all these things happening, this must be the answer. And so they get wrapped up into it and they begin following movements, movements and philosophies and religions because they're thinking that that's going to be the light that they need. And in the end, it's not a light. It just leads them into deeper and deeper sin, deeper and deeper trouble in their life. And, and this is even what they're doing to our kids. The day and age in which we live in is a day and age that has tied identity to dignity. If, if you want a really good book, I'm just I'm going to plug a book here. I, I started reading it, but it's, it's written by Carl Truman, and it's called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self. If you want to know what we, the world that we are living in and how things have changed, read this book because it'll tell you that the world that we are living in now, the reason you see the things that you see is because people have begun to tie everything to themselves. Their identity means that in order for them to have dignity, we must approve of however someone identifies themselves. It's all tied together. And there's all kinds of movements like this, all kinds of things that promise hope and promise light, but there is only, there is only one, and that light is in Christ alone. Only in Jesus can you have the light of life and not walk in darkness. Instead of darkness, the darkness of falsehood, in Christ you have the light of truth. Instead of the darkness of ignorance, in Christ you have the light of wisdom. Instead of the darkness of sin, in Christ you have the light of holiness. And instead of the darkness of sorrow, in Christ you have the light of joy. And instead of the darkness of death, you have the light of life. True freedom, true light, you will never fail. And the Pharisees, they miss the connection again. They miss the connection that Jesus is making and they refuse to follow him. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus had said in chapter 5, verse 31, that you can't bear a testimony about yourself. And so they're saying, Jesus, here, you, the very thing you said earlier um, and the very thing that's required in criminal proceedings in the law, you're violating it. But Jesus in chapter 5, verse 31, he's not making a legal context argument, and neither is this situation. Jesus was simply making the point that if he is saying these things on his own authority, apart from the Father, then of course he would be lying and not bearing witness to the truth because he would be saying something the Father himself does not say regarding him. 
But the Father has borne witness to Jesus, both in his word and in his works. Jesus says, if you knew the Father, his love, his voice, his word, you would believe in me whom he has sent. That's the point Jesus is making here. Jesus is saying, my testimony is true because it is a testimony of myself who is from heaven and my destiny is the glory which I had before I came. And so you don't know where I'm coming from. You don't know where I'm going. You don't recognize me for who I am. So for you to say that my testimony is false, you have no right to speak about my witness, he's saying. He's saying, what I am bearing witness to as the light of the world is in perfect conformity with the Father's will. Here's how he puts it. So Jesus answered them. Even if I do bear witness about myself, even if you're saying that, and I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. As he said to them in verse 24 of chapter 7, you judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Now, what's Jesus, is Jesus saying? I condemn no one, I judge no one? It's not what he's saying. He's saying to them, you're judging me based off of what you see with your physical eyes, and you're making an assessment. Jesus says, you're looking at me, and I'm teaching here, and you're listening to me, and as you observe with your worldly eyes, and as you evaluate everything, you're making a judgment on me that I am that I am speaking falsehood and that I am not who I say that I am. And Jesus says, you judge and are judging according to the flesh. But when he says, I judge no one, he's saying, I don't make the assessments about people in the same way that you do. Jesus is saying, I see things not by the temporal worldly criteria I don't elevate people up and bring them down based off of the flesh and the world's determination. I don't discriminate based on appearance, Jesus says. I judge no one like that. My knowledge is infinitely deeper because it's a divine knowledge and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, sees and judges rightly. He sees all things rightly in line with the Father and the Spirit He's not independent of them, but he is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And so Jesus says in verse 16, yet even if I do judge, he's saying, even if I should assess people and make a determination about them in the way you're making a determination about me, it will be confirmed as true. Because remember, he's the one who sits and judges the living and the dead. He says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Even if I do assess like you, my assessment will be true because it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In other words, it's all going to come down to him being the judge. And when he assesses, all things will be made and revealed to be true and just. 
And so Jesus goes on to say that his testimony is also in accordance with the law. He, he calls it their law because the Pharisees are appealing to it and their understanding of it in order to challenge Jesus. But Jesus is saying that even what I am bearing witness to about myself is in conformity with the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. In your law, he says, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. You have the Father and the Son bearing witness, two witnesses, and the Holy Spirit, by the way. And the three are bearing witness to who Jesus is, and so it is even in accordance with the law. And so they said to him, they missed the point, and they said to him, where is your father? Where is your father, they say. I don't know. Has, has Jesus been unclear in the Gospel of John? Is there like a lot of uncertainty here about what Jesus is claiming? Are, are you here this morning confused about what Jesus is saying? It is so abundantly clear. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of God's promises. I am God incarnate. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am a cold drink for a thirsty soul. I am the Messiah. He, he's saying it over and over again. He, he's saying, I and the Father are one. And here they say in their darkness, where is your father? And Jesus says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. In other words, if you understood who I am and you knew me for who I am, you would know God the father. You wouldn't be asking me, where's your father? you would already know who he is. These words he spoke to them in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But again, John says, no one arrested him because his hour had not come. God was there. He was going to fulfill his plan. And so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. When he says the word sin there, he's talking about their one particular sin. And their one particular sin that Jesus is saying they will die in is their sin of unbelief. I'm going to go away. And then he says, and you will seek me. He's talking to Jews. And what he's saying to them is, here I am the Messiah, and I'm presenting myself to you, and I'm going to go away. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to keep looking for a Messiah. You're going to keep looking for the Messiah to come. But I'm already here, and I'm already the Messiah. And you're going to keep looking, and you're not going to be able to find me. You're not going to find me because I came and I went back home. And as you keep looking for the coming Messiah, he's saying, you're going to die in your sin of unbelief. Because I came once to save mankind, 
And when I come back again, it's not coming to die for sinners to redeem you. It's coming to judge the world. And he says, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin, in your sin of unbelief. Without a Savior, there's no hope for sinners. So he says to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Now this is the whole system of the world. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Beloved, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And are you resting in him as the bread of life, the light of the world, the Savior, the Lord God, the Redeemer? The one of Isaiah 43, and I'll close with this. Look at Isaiah 43. is just so great. He says, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Verse 3, why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Okay? Verse 3 says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Then, then Isaiah goes on to describe and to explain um, this, this glory of God, the, the, the Redeemer and the Creator. And then, starting in verse 10, he says, you know, verse, verse 8, rather, he says, Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. Right? So he's saying, let's do a comparison. Let them bring out all their witnesses about their gods and their deliverers and their, the whole world system and let them say it's true. Verse 10 says, though, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that what? I am he. Jesus is saying, I am he. Unless you believe that I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, you will die in your sin. And so I invite you, beloved, to come to the Lord Jesus this morning as the Holy One of Israel, the Lord, your Redeemer, your Savior, and 
he will redeem you and me from our sin. And, and he has given us his life as a sacrifice and laid it down for us that we might live and that we can come to the Lord's table now and remember him.